Isaiah 53. Who is Jesus? Why did Jesus come to earth? And what, if anything, did Jesus accomplish in his coming to earth? If we could summarize the message of the Bible into three simple points, I believe I could correctly say that everything that is written from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 answers these three questions. Who is Jesus? Why did Jesus come to earth? And what, if anything, did Jesus accomplish in his coming to earth? If we are going to rightly understand what the Christian faith is all about, if we are going to properly believe the gospel of Jesus Christ that has the power to save our soul, it is absolutely vital that we have a biblical assessment of these three points. In fact, the eternal state of your soul hinges on your personal belief of these three points. In order to be reconciled to God, in order to be forgiven of your sin, in order to have the confidence that you will go to heaven when you die, you must correctly believe truths that are fixed upon who Jesus is, why Jesus came, and what Jesus accomplished in His death, burial, and resurrection. And here in Isaiah 53, God, through the prophet Isaiah, answers these three questions for us. Though this prophecy was spoken roughly 700 years prior to Christ's birth, we find that what is said of the promised Messiah finds its flawless fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. In this chapter, the prophet Isaiah carefully explains who Messiah is, why Messiah needs to come, and what Messiah will accomplish in His coming. Last week, we established from verses 1 through 4 who the promised Messiah is. In verses 1 and 2, Isaiah declares that Messiah will be God come in the flesh. Who is Messiah? In verse 1, we are told that Messiah is the mighty arm of the Lord who will one day be revealed. And in verse 2, we are told that Messiah will be a man. So fusing these two truths together, we see first that Messiah will be the divine God-man. He will be the prophesied child mentioned in Isaiah 9-6, whose name shall be called the Mighty God. This Messiah will be the fulfillment of Isaiah 7-14, which promises that a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. So who is Messiah? Isaiah declares that Messiah will be the eternal Word who tabernacles among men. And then zooming in on the words proclaimed in verse 2, Isaiah continues his prophecy by expounding upon what kind of man Messiah will be. When Messiah comes, Isaiah says he will be a man who will appear 
weak and insignificant, and he will be a man void of physical beauty. He will grow up as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground, and he will have no outward form, no outward beauty that would attract others to him. So what will Messiah be like when he comes? Isaiah says he will be someone who is born in a desolate place. He will be as one who grows up without little notice. He will appear to be a common man who has no angelic form of his countenance, no external visible sign that he is God. And then from verses 3 and 4, the prophet Isaiah teaches us what Messiah will encounter when he comes to earth. In verses 3 and 4, Isaiah tells us that throughout the course of his life, he will encounter derision and rejection as well as sorrow and grief. When Messiah comes, he will be despised and rejected of men, which will inevitably lead him to be a man who experiences great agony. So who is this promised Messiah? Who is the Christ? Well, Isaiah says he is God come in the flesh. He is divinity wrapped in humanity. He is the King of kings who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Who is the promised Messiah? Who is this Christ? He is the great high priest the one who was touched with the feelings of our infirmities and was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now looking to verses 5 through 10, I want us to notice what Isaiah says regarding why Messiah is coming. Having highlighted truth regarding Messiah's person, now we come to identify something of Messiah's purpose. Isaiah 53 Beginning in verse 5, the Bible says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So the question we want to consider this morning is the question regarding why Messiah is coming. For what exact purpose from Isaiah's perspective is God sending such a person 
Well, there are three essential truths intertwined in one that we need to separate so that they might be appreciated in their union one toward another. And the first truth that is clearly emphasized in these six verses is the truth that we are naturally rebellious and sinful and thus separated from God. Notice the recurring mentioning of man's spiritual condition in verses 5 through 10. At the beginning of verse 5, we read that we are transgressors who have iniquities. At the conclusion of verse 5, we read that we have need to be healed. In verse 6, Isaiah teaches us that all of us are as lost sheep who have wandered from God, following our own paths and pursuing our own pleasures. And then Isaiah proceeds with the repeated assumption at the end of verse 6, verse 8, and verse 10, that we are a bunch of vile, sinful, rebellious people. How's this for a Christmas Eve sermon? Come to church on Christmas and the pastor's going to tell you that you are a sinner in the eyes of God. But listen, what I am showing you is Bible truth. And you will never appreciate the good news of the gospel until you understand the bad news about your sin. What Isaiah depicts of us is entirely accurate. By nature, all of us are naturally sinful and selfish. We prefer to follow our own interests over God's. We think we know the right way and the best way. Because of sin, we question God's existence. We reject God's authority. We adopt God's goodness. Though nature, the natural world, clearly reveals that there is a sovereign creator who created all things that we are accountable to. Though God's word gives us evidence after evidence that the sovereign creator who created all things is the God of the Bible in our hearts, we purposely turn away from believing such truths because we don't want to submit ourselves to God's authority. We want to be our own God. We want to establish our own rules. We want to do what we want to do, and we don't want anyone else telling us what is right and what is wrong. This is our sin nature. It's our nature to love that which is unholy. It's our nature to love ourselves more than God. It's our nature to idolize the physical things of this life. It's our nature, as Paul tells us in Romans 1, to worship and serve those things which have been created by the Creator rather than the Creator. It's our nature to think that we know better than the Almighty. So what do we do? Well, Isaiah tells us, he says, we turn from God and go our own way. And even now in our hearing of this, some of you are squirming inside because you know it's true, but you don't like to be confronted with it. You want to be told how good you are on Christmas, not how bad you are. So you're thinking to yourself, I should have went to the other church in town. You see, we want to justify ourselves. We want to flatter ourselves 
We want to think that we're a decent person. When God says, we are a great sinner. Now listen to me for a moment. If you want to properly understand why our world acts the way it does, just view it through the lens of this one truth recorded in Isaiah 53. The world is acting the way it is in all of its rebellion, perverseness, idolatry, selfishness, arrogance, stupidity, unreasonableness, injustice, and carelessness because they are spiritually lost. They are spiritually blind. They are cut off from God because they have chosen to go their own way. And I'm submitting to you this morning that it is this underlying message that is the root cause as to why Messiah from Isaiah's perspective, had to come. Messiah must come because man's heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Messiah must come because there is not a just man on earth who does good and sins not. Messiah must come because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Messiah must come because man in his rebellious and sinful condition cannot redeem himself. Apart from the illumination of God, sinful men will not recognize their need to be reconciled to God. So Messiah must come because spiritually blind men cannot make themselves see. Messiah must come because sinful men do not have the ability to wash away their own sins. You see, if we are like sheep, as Isaiah proclaims, who have strayed from God, then what we need is a loving shepherd, a gracious Savior to bring us back to God. So for what purpose is a Messiah promised by Isaiah? Truth number one. Because we are naturally rebellious and sinful and thus cut off from God. Truth number two, why must a Messiah come? Because the only way lost men can be saved is through the death of a promised Savior. Now, from our text, I want you to notice under the second point, the mentioning of Messiah's cruel death. At the beginning of verse 5, Isaiah says that Messiah is going to be wounded and bruised. He's going to be pierced and crushed. And the idea is that he will suffer a violent death. At the end of verse 5, we read that Messiah will be scourged. There at the beginning of verse 7, we read that Messiah is going to be oppressed and afflicted. He's going to be as the lamb to the slaughter. Verse 8, he's going to be cut off out of the land of the living and stricken. And all these things are going to take place, though there's no deceit in his mouth. In other words, Messiah is going to suffer and die not for his own crimes, not for his own sins, but for the sins of others. And this leads us to the second consideration under this point, 
which is this. We not only see the mentioning of Messiah's cruel death, we also see the mentioning of Messiah's dying in the place of sinners. Notice the mentioning of Messiah's dying in the place of sinners. Isaiah says, verse 4, Messiah is going to bear our griefs. He's going to carry our sorrows. He's going to be wounded for our transgressions. He's going to be bruised for our iniquities. Verse 6, the Lord is going to lay on Messiah the iniquity of others. Verse 8, Messiah is going to be cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of His people. Do you see the reason for Messiah's coming? Messiah must come because sinful men need someone to appease God's wrath for their sin against God. Messiah must come because sinful men need someone who can be a mediator between them and God. They need someone who can reconcile them to God and bring peace in their relationship with God that has been one of enmity because of sin. So this is the second truth regarding why, from Isaiah's perspective, Messiah is coming. Isaiah says Messiah will come as one who will die in the place of sinners. And this leads us then to truth number three regarding why Messiah needs to come. Messiah must come because first, man is utterly sinful and cannot save himself. Second, because man needs someone to satisfy the wrath of God on their behalf. Sinful men need someone to bring them back to God. And then third, because God in His love and grace ordained and promised a Savior. Now, did you notice within these declarations that Isaiah declares, the mentioning of what Messiah will do in the past tense, though he's prophesying of things that will come in the future. Notice it with me, beginning in verse 4, Isaiah says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Now keep in mind, what is said here by Isaiah is proclaimed hundreds of years before Jesus Christ was born. And Isaiah says, verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. Verse 6, the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 7, he was oppressed, he was afflicted. Verse 8, he was taken from prison and from judgment. He was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of God's people was he stricken. How is this possible? How can something promised to take place hundreds of years after it was prophesied be spoken about as something that has already taken place? How can something that is to happen in the future be referenced as something that has happened in the past? Here's the answer. This can be because from God's eternal perspective, as Isaiah declared it, it was already done. 
from the eternal view. Messiah was ordained to come from before the foundation of the world. The Bible tells us that before the world was ever created, before Adam fell, all these prophecies came to be because God in His infinite wisdom and grace predestined a Savior who would come to die on the behalf of His people. Now pause for a moment and dwell upon this truth. Think about what that means. This means that God is God. This means that God's promises are true and cannot fail. This means that a Savior will come just as God from the beginning has promised in His Word. And if we trace it out from Genesis 3 onward, we will see that God is a faithful God. After Adam fell, God promised a Savior. Through Moses, God promised that a prophet would come. At the beginning of Isaiah's prophecy, Isaiah 7.14, Isaiah 9.6, Isaiah promises that a virgin will conceive and bear a son whose name shall be called Emmanuel, who is the Prince of Peace. If we had time to trace out all the prophecies of the Old Testament, we would find that Messiah must come because God has ordained and God has promised to send a Savior. Now, God did not have to make a promise to send a Savior, but He did. God could have let us who've rebelled against His ways suffer the wages of sin, which is death. But God in His love, God in His mercy, God in His grace provided a way for rebels to be united with Him. So why did God promise to send a Messiah? First, because all humanity is sinful. Second, because all of humanity needs a Savior. And then third, because God has promised to send a Savior. Now with these three truths at the forefront of our minds, I want us to identify the truth that all these prophecies are perfectly fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ, which provide the motivations as to why we celebrate Christmas why we celebrate Christ's birth this time every year. Looking to what is written in the New Testament now, we find that the angelic proclamation prior to Jesus' birth confirms that Jesus is the promised Messiah and Isaiah's words are true. In Matthew 1.21, the angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream announcing that the baby that has been conceived by the Holy Spirit in Mary's womb is the promised Messiah who will save His people from their sins. And then tracing it out further, we also find that the verbal proclamations of Jesus Christ Himself confirm that Jesus is the promised Messiah. And Isaiah's words are fulfilled in him. Jesus says, Matthew 18, 11, For the Son of Man is come to do what? 
Jesus said, the Son of Man has come to save that which is lost. Do you see these true truths mentioned by Isaiah, mentioned now by Christ? He says, man is lost, but the Son of Man has come to save that which is lost. Luke 5.32, Jesus says, I come not to call the righteous, for there is none righteous. I didn't come to call good people. I didn't come to justify those who are whole. Jesus says, I came to call sinners to repentance. Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Now stay with me. I'm showing you from Scripture how the prophecies of Isaiah 53 are perfectly fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Isaiah said that Messiah would come as deity wrapped in flesh. Isaiah said that Messiah would come as a man of sorrows and acquainted with griefs. Isaiah said that he will be wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. So the question we're asking is, do these prophecies find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ? And the answer is yes. They're confirmed in the angelic proclamations shortly prior to Christ's birth. They are confirmed through the personal proclamations of Jesus Christ himself and then they are confirmed in Jesus' cruel death. You see, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ confirms that Jesus is the Messiah and that Isaiah's prophecies are fulfilled in him. On the way to the cross, we read that Jesus was beaten with many stripes. As Jesus was nailed to the cross, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was wounded, bruised for our iniquities. As he hung upon the tree, the Lord laid on him the iniquity of his people. And in during great agony, Jesus truly was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was born to die upon Calvary. And then to add to this, we find through the transformed lives, through the verbal proclamations and through the collective writings of the the apostles, that Jesus is the promised Messiah and Isaiah's prophecies are true. After Jesus died and resurrected from the dead, it was Thomas who said to Jesus, my Lord and my God. After the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the ferocious persecutor of the Christian faith, Saul of Tarsus, came to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Remember, it was Paul who shamelessly proclaimed after coming to see Jesus as he is, Paul says, for when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. But God commendeth his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Paul says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptations that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So we have evidence after evidence pointing to the fact that what Isaiah said in Isaiah 53 
hundreds of years before Christ came are true. So for the skeptics among us this morning who want proofs and evidence that the Christian faith is the superior faith that has originated from God himself, you have a great dilemma. You must provide a sufficient answer as to how all these things can come to pass in pinpoint detail by chance or by man-made manipulation. This is the problem and the the dilemma of doubters. I know they want to throw things on Christians. I know they have their question marks and they want to throw things on us. But this morning I'm throwing things on them. Those of you who doubt, you have a problem. We're talking about dozens of prophecies perfectly fulfilled over thousands of years in one person. We're not talking about one random guest made by one man in one place. We're talking about dozens of prophecies spoken by dozens of people in various places who never knew each other that were accurately confirmed in one person, namely Jesus Christ. There's no other religion that can offer such proofs, not even the religion of science. So in light of the truths that have been presented to us this morning, I have two points of application. And the first point is the observable, obvious truth that Jesus is the promised Messiah. What do we learn from Isaiah 53? Well, we learn that it is reasonable, it is sensible to believe that Jesus Christ is Messiah. Jesus is the God-man. He is, as John declares to be in John 1, the eternal Word who has become flesh. Jesus is who He says He is. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the door to God. He is the good shepherd of His sheep. He is the mediator between holy God and sinful men. Look, you only have two options as it relates to the prophecies and claims of Christ. Either you believe that he is the greatest liar who has ever lived, or you believe that he is the God-man. You either have to believe that Jesus pulled off one of the greatest deceptions that this world has ever known, or you have to believe that Jesus is the promised Messiah. There are no other options. He is either a con man or he is the Christ. God has given us his word so that we might know that he is the Christ. If Isaiah 53 teaches us anything, it teaches us that Jesus is indeed the Savior of the world. And the second concluding point of application for you to consider is the truth. That as the Savior of the world, Jesus can and will forgive your sin if you repent and believe on His name. Jesus can and will forgive your sin if you repent and believe. And this is the message of the gospel. This is what we call the good news 
The bad news is we are sinners who cannot save ourselves. The troubling news is that because of our sins, we deserve death. But the good news is that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And it's vital that we understand that salvation is obtained when we knowingly, consciously turn to God in repentance and faith. Despite what may others may tell you, listen, God does not accept every person into heaven. All roads don't lead to eternal life. God does not automatically forgive everyone's sin. The promise of salvation is not instinctly given to everyone. This is not the message of the Bible. The message of the Bible is that in order for you to be reconciled to God, you must acknowledge that you are a great sinner in need of a great Savior. You must be sorry for your sin against God. And then you must personally believe that Jesus is the Christ and that Jesus alone has the power to reconcile you to God. The Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And this call is a call of desperation. It's a call where you come to the end of yourselves and you say, Lord, my life means nothing apart from you. Lord, I I have sinned and I have sinned greatly. I've gone my own way. Here you have been so good, so kind, so faithful, and I've taken your blessings for granted. And Lord, I see that Jesus has come to die for me. And so in desperation, you say, God, have mercy upon my soul. That's what it means to call upon the name of the Lord. And the Bible promises that if we ask God to have mercy on our soul, He will. In fact, Jesus says, Him who comes to me by faith, Him who believes on me, I will in no wise cast out. So there are many who come hearing this message who say, Pastor, you just don't understand. I've done too much wrong. I've wasted my life. Surely God can't forgive me. Well, if that's your response, you're calling God a liar. Because God says He's faithful to save anybody who will come to Him by faith. The most miserable, the most wretched the most sinful person, Jesus Christ, is able to say because the Bible says where sin abounds, God's grace does much more abound. So my question to you this morning is, will you believe that God's word is true? Will you believe that Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah? Will you believe that Jesus has come to be your personal Savior, will you believe that through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, you can be reconciled to God? You can have a peace that passes all understanding. You can have joy unspeakable and full of glory. 
You see, this Christmas Eve, you can receive God's greatest gift given to men if, here's the condition, if you will humble yourself and by faith believe that Jesus Christ has done everything possible to save your soul. This is the blessing of Christmas. The blessing of Christmas is that God, in His grace, has given to sinful man the greatest gift. And that gift is eternal salvation, the forgiveness of sins, the promise of heaven.